Today's reading is taken from the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 17 to 30. Exploring Canaan. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob, towards Libo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shesai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Uh, as Michelle said before Linda read, we're continuing our series, The Land in Between, from Exodus and Numbers. The Israelites have left their slavery in Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land. Uh, we are in between the old normal, nearly a year now since that first lockdown, and we haven't been able to meet together normally since then. And Hopefully, over the summer, the new normal will appear. We don't quite know what that's going to look like. 
And as they travel through the wilderness, God is teaching the Israelites to trust him and obey him. For example, when the manna came every day, God was teaching them that he would provide for their daily needs. They were to collect enough each day. They collected too much, it went bad. But he was also teaching them about the Sabbath, that once a week, on the sixth day, they could collect twice as much as they needed, and it would last, and they could have a rest day. And this lesson was going on day after day after day. Last week, we watched the, saw about the pillar of cloud and fire, how God assured them of his presence with them and guided them. Today, they've got quite close to the south of the Promised Land, and God tells Moses to send 12 men, one from each tribe, to explore that land. Linda read the beginning of the story. The story goes on for two chapters in Numbers 13 and 14, uh, and I'll tell the rest of the story as we go on. And there's lots for us to learn today. So let's pray uh, that as we enter whatever the post-COVID land looks like, we are ready for it. Lord God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You still love your people. You dwell with them. You guide us. Send your spirit on us now as I speak from what you've given me as we listen. For us as individuals, in any way you're guiding us. For us as a church family, about what comes next. Speak, we pray, and give us grace to follow your leading. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first bit of the story is these 12 men going off to explore the land and report back. They explore for 40 days. And they find lots that is wonderful and good. Verse 23 talks about this huge cluster of grapes. They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. Uh, I googled grapes in Israel to see what we could find. And this is the picture I found. Of a, that is an enormous cluster of grapes. And you can ma imagine them finding something like that and cutting off the branch and carrying it on a pole between two of them. Uh, indeed, the current Israel tourist board uses this story as their advert. There's their logo, uh, the two people carrying a cluster of grapes. Come and explore the land. It's a good land. And having spent a year in Israel as a young man, I would indeed echo that. It is a wonderful place to go and explore. Uh, the men came back and said in verse 27, it really does flow with milk and honey. This was what God had promised. I'm leading you to a good land. There's plenty of milk there. There's bees. It's, there's, there's farmland. It's a good land for you. But they found some real challenges too. Uh, verse 28 we read that the people are powerful, the cities are fortified. We even saw descendants of Anak. Those are the sort of the giants, the, the really largest people of the ancient world. Now, our situation as a church is that it feels like a new era is coming post-COVID. That's going to be the same for lots of people in lots of places. The world will have changed as a result of this pandemic. Our old vision we've been running on for 15 years was to see Lemington changed one life at a time. That continues. We continue to pray that God will work here in this town as we partner with other churches to see people come to faith in Jesus. But it seems clear that God wants us to operate over a wider area now as we've got larger as a church. We have people coming to us from perhaps a seven or eight mile radius around. Uh, some from further who are serving in their local villages or wherever and coming into us to take in so they can give out. Uh, the diocese is asking us to become one of a number of new resource churches, a network of mission hub churches around the diocese that work together uh, to help resource others. The idea is that we 
and with others looked to plant new worshipping communities and indeed new whole churches. There's so much new housing around, we can see opportunity for that. And there are churches that are struggling and need help and encouragement. Now over the years, the Lord has always called ones and twos and threes and fours to go and serve in other local churches. And all around Warwick and Leamington are people who've been part of St Paul's for many years who are now going to serve in other churches. But this new thing seems different if we're looking to plant actual new worshipping communities or new churches. That's a big thing, and this is a new era for us. We've been praying into this and talking about it on the PCC for the last year. Uh, we had a wonderful meeting back in June last summer. Uh, whereas we talked about this, we felt an energy and a joy and an excitement. We felt this is right from the Lord for us, whether or not the diocese uh, asks us to be officially a resource church. We feel it's right, not that we get bigger and bigger, but that we look to plant and to overflow and to strengthen others and to give away. Uh, so we felt that this is what the Lord is leading. Uh, but as we've been in discussion with the diocese, uh, I'm delighted that it seems to be in partnership with them. But the more I think about it, the more as well as the joy and excitement, the more I'm a little bit daunted by what this will mean. This is quite a big ask across the diocese. Uh, the vision is to look to plant about 150 new worshipping communities. Some of them will be new congregations in existing churches or new places in a parish. Others of them whole new churches. And we will have quite a responsibility, and that is a daunting challenge. So the reactions of these 12 men who went to spy out the land, to explore it, uh, make a lot of sense to me. There's lots that's good there. It's exciting. It's a good land. But there's a whole lot of challenges as well. And that will be the case for us as the Lord leads us into whatever comes next. So in the next part of the story, we find those two different reactions magnified. Some who sense the excitement and the Lord is in us, we've got to do it. Others, and sadly we'll see the majority, who thought this is too difficult, we can't do it. Uh, Caleb and Joshua were two of the 12 men who went to explore the land. They were sure that the Israelites should do it. So verse 30 of our reading, we heard this. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. But the other 10 didn't think they could. From verse 31, we read this. The men who'd gone up with them said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And a real crisis develops, and as you read into chapter 14, you see that what are they going to do? So from chapter 14, verse 1, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is not a good place for the people of God. They've taken their eyes off God. They've forgotten what it was like in Egypt. Back then they were crying out to God to rescue them. They were slaves. They've forgotten God's mighty power, the ten plagues. They've forgotten that he parted the Red Sea and they walked through it. Uh, 
They've forgotten they met God at Sinai and made a covenant with him. They've forgotten the pillar of cloud and fire. If they turned round and looked, they could probably have seen it. But they've taken their eyes off God, just onto the problems. And they say, we can't do it. And a really nasty situation emerges. Joshua and Caleb still contend for the fact that we can trust the Lord. Chapter 14, verses 6 to 9. Joshua, the son of Nun. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. I'm sure that's not how you say it. It's probably Jephunneh. But when I was little, I remember an old doggerel rhyme about Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Something, something, something. The land flowing with milk and honey. Anyway, that's how, that's how I remember that. So Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we'll devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So here's the challenge for the people. Joshua and Caleb saying, it's difficult, but we can trust the Lord. He will do it. The other ten saying we can't. I was reminded of an old Sunday school song. So I'm not going to sing it to you. Don't worry. Um, but I will. I do need both my hands for this when I was little. Uh, and I'll say it. It went, 12 men went to spy in Canaan. 10 were bad, 2 were good. What did they see to spy in Canaan? 10 were bad, 2 were good. Some saw giants strong and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad, two were good. Now, it has a terrible tune, and even if I could sing it, it would still sound terrible. Uh, but the story is such an important one. All these things we read in the New Testament are written down for our learning. As God calls us into the next era, there will be things about it that seem wonderful and joyful and exciting and good. And there will be things about it that seem daunting, and we'll be tempted to think, we can't do that. So we have to be clear about what God's calling us to do and then the courage to follow, to be like Caleb and Joshua. Tragically, the people followed the other ten. They give in to fear, not faith. And Moses enters a long conversation. We see his prayer with the Lord. And we'll read this from chapter 14 from verse 10. The whole assembly talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb. And the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? That sense, how long will they refuse to trust in me? I'll strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I'll make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Well, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them. And they'll tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard that you, the Lord, are with these people, that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who've heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land. He promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Fantastic bit of intercession from Moses for his people. And then he reminds God about God's character. This is even better. Uh, so from verse 17. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you've declared. 
You declared the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you've pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And God does forgive them. But there are consequences to their rebellion and their lack of faith. So from verse 30, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I'll do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who's grumbled against me. So God forgives them, but he says, okay, you're not going to enter the land. You will wander around this wilderness. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Only needed to be two or three years until they were ready, until the next generation came through and they would go into the land under Joshua. God is looking for people who will trust him and obey him. Let's read from verse 30. Let's carry on. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you've rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Forty years. This is heavy. But the point is God has shown his hand so powerfully to them and still they refuse to trust. And that is a serious thing. And the ten men who had given the bad report, God strikes them down and they die very shortly afterwards. Let's read from verse 36 of the story. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, survived. Now, you can read on. I won't read any more of the story. But when the people see what had happened and when they hear what Moses had said... Then they say, oh, well, no, that's too bad. We've changed our minds. We'll go and attack. And Moses says, don't. The Lord isn't with you. And God says tell, to Moses, tell them, don't go. The Lord isn't with you. But they still go, and they attack the Amalekites, and, of course, they are defeated. It goes badly. We have to follow the Lord's leading. We can't presume, as they did at the end, that God would just back them whatever they did. We need to discern his leading, and then whatever the challenge is, we need to follow as I said just a moment ago, God is looking for people who will trust him for faith. 
Moses trusted him, Joshua and Caleb did, but the ten others and the people as a whole didn't. Forty years of living in the Sinai wilderness, till that generation died out, and the next generation, who had learnt more to trust God, uh, were ready to enter the land under Joshua. Now fast forward 1,200 years, when Jesus came, he was looking for people to trust him. Do you remember where he found faith? It seemed the resources of God were able uh, to do all sorts of things. Where people wouldn't trust him, he wasn't able to do so much. It seems that our faith unlocks more of God's resources into our lives, whether that's strength to bear uh, what we're bearing or whether it's for God actually to change the situation. The point is that with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, there were all these amazing signs and wonders that the people had seen in Egypt. Still, they didn't trust him. Forty years later, under Joshua, they went into the land and more amazing signs and wonders as they trusted him and followed. The Jordan was parted. They took Jericho with a very unusual battle plan and slowly they took the land as the Lord led them. But once they're in the land, the story of the Old Testament is the same tension. Will they trust God against all the odds or will they give in to their fears? Again, fast forward the 1,200 years to when Jesus came. And we find God choosing Mary, who will trust him. And the angel Gabriel says to Mary, Luke 1, verse 37, No word from God will ever fail, or equally translate it, for with God nothing is impossible. If God has said to do this, then we can trust him to go and do it. He promises to be with us. We saw this last week again, Matthew 28, 20. Uh, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But too often down the history of the church, God's people have been like the ancient Israelites. We've taken our eyes off the Lord. We've focused them on the here and now. We've looked at problems and decided we can't do stuff. And God is still looking for a people who will trust him. It's a bit like when Peter was called to walk on the water. As he kept his eyes on Jesus, he could do it. When he looked at the wind and the waves and took his eyes off the Lord, that was when he began to sink. So as I said for us at St. Paul's, I believe God's calling us into a new season, the other side of this pandemic. When we discern where that is, we need to react like Joshua and Caleb and be people of faith. Let me just read a couple of the highlight verses of these two chapters. Chapter 14, 8 and 9. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we'll devour them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. And God would say to us, whatever he calls us to, however daunting, don't be afraid. I am with you. With God, nothing is impossible. So like Caleb, I love what God said about Caleb, chapter 14, verse 24. This is what we need to be like. My servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And you can read about how that happened uh, in the book of Joshua. So where are we up to? Well, there are various strands to what God's calling us to do. Uh, we're not quite clear yet about what they mean. We're still at the whole stage, as it were, of exploring the land. Uh, we know that being a resource church or a mission hub church, as the diocese is calling it, is part of that. But we're not quite sure what that looks like. 
We know that there's a, a new ministry for our small groups as well as discipling each other. There's a missional thing. We've been talking about mid-sized communities. I was beginning to talk a lot about that last year when the whole pandemic kicked in. I am very sure that God will have been working in our small groups, preparing us for what comes next. Uh, if he's leading us, he will have been preparing us. And then there's how we engage with our community post-COVID. Online church is clearly here to stay. Church will be hybrid after this. We'll have people in the building and people watching elsewhere. If there's a new openness to God and the church, there'll be tremendous opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. But there'll be real needs. Our community, there'll be so much financial need and emotional and mental health needs. Uh, God is good and he's leading us into a new land. And I'm going to be talking about this with the PCC next week. I'll share more of this at the annual meeting. But please pray with me as we explore what this looks like. There will be opportunities over the summer, hopefully when we can gather together again to talk and pray and worship and get clarity on what God is calling us to do. And when we're clear, then we will be like Joshua and Caleb and we will choose to trust now, the new stuff is not entirely new. Our old vision document, you may well remember, here's our old vision document. There's still a few of these left, but they're running out because we know we need to print a new one. Um, you can read that online. It's there on the website. But there are a couple of bits in that that 15 years ago seemed to be miles off. Uh, we talked about redeveloping the buildings. Well, we've done that. We talked about lots of other things. But we also said this. We believe God's calling us to develop ministries, small groups, and clusters. That was the word we were using for mid-sized communities then. To develop these, which multiply in exciting and innovative expressions of church. So we saw hazily 15 years ago that our small groups and ministries were to multiply and plant new things. Didn't know what that would look like. We put a line in that vision about sharing our resources with other churches and ministries. We've always done quite a lot of that. Uh, and we've started new ministers. We haven't yet started new churches. We've started new congregations in the building, but not beyond yet. So this is another step in how God's been leading us for so long. And as we pray into this as a church, of course, some of you will sense God calling you to take new steps in your life and ministry. Uh, if it's God, it will be exciting and daunting, both of those things. But do be like Caleb. And let's pray that God would strengthen us. I'm going to lead in a prayer. Perhaps the band would come back ready to lead us 